Welcome to Podski Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. So this was the episode that we had planned on doing last Friday, but then Simone Lawrence announced his retirement. And that being as big a deal as it was, we felt obligated to give our undivided attention to one of the greatest players in Hamilton Tiger Cats history. So last Friday, we were going to sit down. We we're going to talk about all the free agency moves. Simone announced his retirement. We decided to do an episode about him. We waxed poetic for about an hour on his phenomenal career, both in Edmonton, but mostly, of course, in black and gold. So if you want to hear us talk about Simone, that's in the archives available to everybody. Today, we're going to focus primarily, Simone will come up, I guess, a little bit, but primarily we're going to focus on what the Ticats did kind of the last two weeks, you know, the week leading into free agency, the week of free agency. We, as we sit down to record this, it is a week after the market officially opened. And I think all of the big moves have probably been made. I know there's a couple of players, Ticat players in particular, that I think some fans would maybe like to see back a Ted Laurent. Uh, a guy like that is still available. But for the most part, I think all the big moves have been made. The biggest move, though, was just officially announced earlier today when the Tiger Cats re-signed Tim White to a two-year contract. I, I had to say, say extension because his contract had expired, but it's essentially a contract extension. Signed that earlier today. White led the CFL in receiving yards last year, led the league in receptions the year before that, was named a league all-star in both seasons. This was a somewhat contentious negotiations. There were rumors that White was looking for upwards of $300,000 on a new deal, and apparently no team out there was willing to meet him at that price. Current reports peg his salary in 2024 and 2025 in the $265,000 per season range, which is not bad. I think that makes him the second highest paid receiver in the CFL behind only Eugene Lewis. So not, not terrible company. So Mike, things got a bit ugly with Tim white. Some fans even turned on him, but all's well that ends well, right? Like white's back with the team. He's their top receiving option for the next two seasons. How are you feeling about this decision to bring him back and our bygones bygones? I, I, I doubt that you had any issues with him trying to maximize his value, but there are definitely fans out there that did. Is this just all around a great move for the team, or do you have some trepidation here? It was a must from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. If they would have went into the season with, and, and this is no shade towards Terry Godwin, but if he was the number one receiver on the team, we would have been in some trouble. The addition of Tim White here gives them a legit number one guy who has put up number one, you know, receiving yards, you know, touchdowns, all that good stuff over the last couple of seasons with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So it was an absolute must because, you know, who else are they going to sign to bring in? There's not many free agent receivers out there that can, of the caliber of Tim White. So this just had to be done. And, you know, the numbers, he wanted 300000 I don't blame him for that at all. I mean, you look around the league and, and you know, the last two seasons, there's been big paydays for the best receivers in the league, $300,000, a little bit over um, Kenny Lawler and uh, Eugene Lewis. Now, those guys both signed in Edmonton, so that maybe tells you something that they're overpaying. Um, the Elks are overpaying for receivers. So, But, but the, the market was quote-unquote set so he was looking at those players thinking hell I led the league last year in receiving yards I'm the best receiver in the league or one of them I should be getting close to those numbers now they they were able to get it down a little bit to 265 and I'm I'm happy with that 
I'm fine with that. I think that you have to maximize your uh, your your money while you're playing professional football because we all know it doesn't last very long. So I don't, you know, I never had a problem with him asking for that high price range. Yeah, I think anyone listening to this is probably aware that I thought it was ridiculous that this would the mon- that money would be an issue. This was a team that we had heard how true it is. I look everything we hear is is rumors until it's put in front of us in cold hard facts, right? And the rumors were that the Tiger Cats from reliable sources, Farhan Logu being one of them, the Tiger Cats were in on Matthew Betts at around $300,000. And if in my opinion it's like once Betts signed in the NFL, well the Tiger Cats had earmarked about $300,000 for a player. I get that you then just don't go, well, Tim White wants it. Let's give it to him. I understand it's a negotiation. The team wants to get the best deal possible, and the player wants to get the best deal possible. But the idea that the Ticats didn't have the money to meet a high asking price to me was belied by the fact that they had the money to pay Matthew Betts, but you know what I mean? But they were going to cheap out. And there were people who were saying like, oh, you know, what are his options outside of Hamilton? And admittedly, they were limited. Both This this feels like a deal that both sides had to reach with each other. Now, as a player, White came down off his off his money, got more than I, I there was a report out there that if he came down to 250, there'd be a number of teams involved. He clearly, I think, wanted to stay in Hamilton and he gets a little bit over the 250 mark. Like I said, I, I think he's the maybe maybe Kenny Lawler still makes more in Winnipeg. But he's definitely in the top, solidly in the top five of compensation for receivers. But it, he didn't have a ton of options, but he probably could have. The Ty Cats, though, really didn't have. You bring up the Terry Godwin of it all, and I think he's going to. He's I, look, younger players you expect year over year to get better, and Terry Godwin showed a little bit in his first year. Only played in a handful of games, I think two or three. Got a chance last year, but about 900 yards. I think he had like six or seven touchdowns. Had a decent season, but nothing that would say, oh, this guy's the next number one guy. Although, similar to Tim White, Tim White put up about 800 yards his first year. Grant's day was in 14 games. But you expect these younger players, and, and Godwin, despite being, you know, he's not 22, but younger player to this league, expect him to get better over year. I, I could see him going for 1,000 yards this year, especially as the number two option. But as a number one option, that, that scared me as well. You look at the receiving core without Tim White, and you're like, who's the the go-to guy. Now they have their go-to guy. The discourse though around the money is, it was disappointing to me because it's so weird to me that when it comes to pro sports, that's the one time when the general public always tends to take the side of management. Do you you not find that bizarre that in life you want the worker to make as much money as possible, right? Like I want you to get as as well compensated as you can. Everyone, like you want, the person doing the job, and in this case, the person who you're paying money to be entertained by, you want them to make the most money as possible. But yet, for some reason, in sports, people look at it as, well, no, we want him to come in at the cheapest because then we can add more guys. And I, I, it just, it's so weird to me how the sports fan mind works in that regard because you would think you would want to put yourself in the athlete's shoes and go, well, if it was me – I'd want to make as much money as possible in my day-to-day job. If someone offers me more money to go somewhere else, I'm going to, you know what I mean? But yet here, it always seems to be siding with like people are saying like F Tim white. 
We don't need Tim White. Now, those fans today are probably congratulating him and over the mood that he's back. It's, it's, it's just a weird disconnect for me. I'm, I just don't understand why fans take the side of management in these disputes. Do you get that at all? No, I see it, and uh, I don't really understand it either, especially in the in a league like the CFL where these guys aren't making millions of dollars. Um, you know, if you look at, like, the NBA where there's, you know, guys are making $50 million a year and sitting out half the season, I mean – it's um it, it's just a weird thing to me and and to 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 look at like a CFL player who's probably gonna you know the best of the best are quarterbacks and they probably you know make it depending on how long they play five hundred thousand dollars a year you're gonna make you know three four or five million in your career and that's that's pretty damn good to me but to people out there that's nothing so it's it's kind of a weird thing where yeah they want the players to take less but if if they're not getting paid twenty five million dollars a year then they're not worth watching. You know what I mean? Well, that's, I mean, that's just a mindset of, that, that's a weirdly Canadian mindset in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, I think of it when it comes to like any sort of Canadian form of entertainment, because it's not viewed as the, it's Canadian movies and Canadian television shows aren't the best. So people will knock them just because they're Canadian versus looking at them for the quality of it. I, I don't think it's any different in sports. I think, I, I don't know, the the whole they don't make that much, so they can't be that good. As, uh, I mean, we never talked about it, and we're not going to talk about it, but the whole Boomer Esiason nonsense that for some bizarre reason from four years ago was brought back up unnecessarily. Like, I don't know. I, th- I think there's just people stuck in their ways, and that's that's the way it is. But the discourse around white yes. bugged me in a way because you saw people, Ticat fans, tear this guy down. There was talk about how he no-showed in the playoffs last year. And, I mean, that's undeniable. He didn't have any catches. But you would then say, well, what about the year before when he had, like, 150 yards against the Alouettes in the playoffs? Like, why is the 2023 game used against him, but the 2022 game's not used for him? I saw – what was some of the other – I saw people comparing him to Nick Dembski and – Curly Gittins Jr. and Devaris Daniels and being like, he's not as good as those guys because he doesn't go over the middle or take over games. Like I just, the facts and the opinion, the opinions on Tim White were negated by the facts. It's funny. If you go look at the the hype video that the Ticats put out today, the very first pad, I maybe, maybe the guy who put it together is he's online. He sees the discourse. Very first pass in that highlight reel. It's Tim White over the middle. And the idea that he doesn't take over games. He had a two touch, 150 yard two touchdown performance against Ottawa last year with Tim with uh, Taylor Powell as his quarterback. He took over that game. The game against Calgary in 2022, the final drive. He has the big catch to put him in in the red zone, and then he scores the game winning touchdown. Like this idea that Tim White disappears. Now, you want to talk about how he starts the season slowly? That's a conversation worth having. But this, this idea that Nick Dembski who has never come close to Tim White's career highs in any category. Devaris Daniels, who never, you know, like he, people were comparing him to these players. And it's like, no, he's in the Geno Lewis stratosphere. He's not in the Devaris Daniels tier. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just feel like people were trying to tear him down thinking that, well, if, if I tear him down and he gets this, like, I don't know. It just, it just felt like such a weird discussion that was had for the early parts of free agency when he didn't immediately resign. And then the arguments against paying Tim white, like that $300, $300,000 number got thrown out there. And it's almost as if the knee jerk reaction was, well, that's too much money. 
And here's why it's too much money. And then the reasonings for it just never made sense to me. It's like, you, you, you said it off the top. Like there's an argument that Tim White's the best receiver in the Canadian football league. Like, yeah, Dalton Schoen's really good. Kenny Lawler's decent, although doesn't stay on the field. Like I, I was trying to combat these narratives and what do I do when I try to do that? I do research and Kenny Lawler has put up some good numbers, but he's got 1000 yard season to his, to his name and his career. And he's missed tons of time the last two years. So it's like, yeah, the talent's there, but the production's not. Tim White has played, I think he's missed three games in his entire CFL career. And I think two of them, if not all three, were just because he sat out the last game of the season because they were meaningless games. So, you know, Tim White's going to be there. The narrative surrounding why the team shouldn't have paid him to me just didn't make any sense. And I do think it's going to be funny now watching the people who tried to tear this guy down for a week now jump back onto his bandwagon since he's now come back to the Ticats. So everyone will be like, oh, well, 265, like like 35,000, 35,000 not get you anything in CFL. It's, it's not the 1980s where 35,000 gets you a player. Like 265 is a great number. If he would have got three, I would have like, he could have got 500,000. I wouldn't have cared. Like he was needed in this offense and the, the, the discourse around tearing him down just, I don't know, man. It just seemed really silly to me. Wade started 47 games over his three seasons. So, <clears throat> and then there was a there was a shortened season in there. Yeah, right? I think so, I think he played 13, 17, and 17. Yeah. So like, that would make sense. He's been a con- and and the the thing with the disappearing, we saw it like early on in the season last year. He didn't really contribute that much. But what happened? Tommy Condell got out of the picture. Scott Milanovic was inserted, and all of a sudden, Tim White is putting up these massive games. So I don't think you can blame him for not contributing in certain games because we saw that he wasn't being utilized correctly within the offense, right? And as soon as he was, he started putting up those numbers again. Well, and if you want to say, oh, well, he he didn't ca- make a catch in the playoff game. He was a non-factor. Okay, so oh, then who, cut everybody. Because who, who, who did play well in that playoff game? I, Mark Leggio with his four field goals? Because other than that, the team sucked. So if you're if you're if your argument is he's he doesn't deserve to come back because he stunk in the playoff game, well then this team needed to gut the entire roster and start from scratch, no? Yeah, absolutely. That that was a pretty poor performance in Montreal last season in the playoffs. So it was a total team effort uh, of sucking. And uh Tim White was a part of that, but you know, you can't you can't blame him for uh the loss or put too much stock into one game. Yeah. And it's the same people that wanted Matthew Schiltz back as a starting quarterback. So uh, what are you going to do? Okay. But anyway, back to Tim white with him now back in the fold officially, you can kind of see what the tie cats will look like on offense in this upcoming season. Should of course, everyone stay healthy. Given where we stand right now, are you excited about where this offense is headed with the roster that honestly if you look at it on paper, it doesn't look all that different from last year's one that we were less than enthusiastic about. I'm liking the way that the offense is constructed at this point. You know, they put an emphasis on the offensive line, signing back, you know, all the starters, and then signing some depth guys. Um, we have James Butler coming back at the running back position. He's a stud. We all know that. The receivers were a question mark not too long ago, but bringing back Tim White is huge. He's the number one guy. Then Terry Godwin, 
slide into that number two spot. And then there's some some younger cats that can really step up and show their worth this season. Plus the, um, you know, Keandre Smith, another young guy who has shown flashes over the years. And I'm expecting him to take another step. So I think there's a good mixture of, um, you know, even Tim White's not, I wouldn't even consider him a, you know, grizzled veteran or anything, but he's probably, um, you know, the oldest guy on the, on, in that, in that squad. So I think there's a good mix of experience there and, uh, and younger guys coming up. So, I mean, if I'm looking at on paper at this offense, uh, I guess I didn't even mention the quarterbacks. I guess it comes down to how well Bo performs. And if Bo doesn't perform well, is Taylor Powell, is he the real deal? He showed some really good things last season, but we've seen quarterbacks show really good things in their first year, then fall off the map, right? So um, it's all going to come down to how well the quarterback plays, because I believe personally that the talent around the quarterback position is pretty solid. I feel as if we're saying a lot of the same things we said last year, except I think we were a little more excited about Bo's insertion into this roster because I, you look at on paper, Jordan Murray, Jordan Murray came in midseason, but it's Joel Figueroa. It's David Beard. It's Coulter Woodmansey. It's Brandon Revenberg. All those guys were here to start last season. It's Bo Levi Mitchell. He was here to start last season. It's Terry Godwin. It's Tim White. It's Keandre Smith. They were here to start last season. James Butler was, it's, we were very unimpressed with how the offense performed last year. And yet maybe their most dynamic playmaker was Tyreek McAllister and he's gone and they've, they've replaced him. They've, they've upgraded in ways and we'll talk about some of the players they're bringing in, but they've upgraded. That's maybe that second Canadian receiver spot. I think Luther Hakunavanu is better. Like his numbers are better than Richie Sandani's and Chris Osikusi. So it's an upgrade there, but it's still the possibility of this team starting two Canadian receivers. They brought in Duke Williams, who was good for stretches, but never really found a way to take over. So maybe that's addition by subtraction. But it's a lot of the same cast of characters for this upcoming season as of right now. So if the offense struggle, I mean, we can't really say we didn't see it coming because if we get to midseason, we get to Labor Day and this team's, you know, hovering around 500. They're three and six or they're five and you know what I mean? Like they're they're where the Ticats always are. We can't really say we didn't see this happening because what do you expect when you kind of roll back a team that underachieved last year and you essentially bring all the same people back the following season? Yeah, there's obviously changes in in the coaching staff and and in play calling, and that will, could make a difference. But all the same players come back. Can we really expect it to be that much better? No, like I don't think this team's going to be that much better. Well, record-wise, I mean, we're going to lose the first you know couple games. That's just the way it is. We'll be, you know, floating. We'll be maybe, you know, I can't even, I don't even know when Labor Day comes now. It's probably like the 10th or 11th game. So, yeah. so we'll be four and six, whatever, you know, and then we'll we'll climb back into it in the second half of the season, finish nine and nine, 10 and eight. You know, that's just how it goes when you're Hamilton Tiger Cat. Just how it goes when you're Hamilton Tiger Cat fan. We see this year in and year out. Minus the 15 and three season, minus the, um, you know, the 0 and 8 start in the Ken Austin era. The team starts slow. They'll pick it up in the second half of the season. We'll squeak into the playoffs and then probably lose in the first or second round. So that's just how it goes. I do wonder, you brought up fans, if this offense does struggle even early, 
Who are they going to blame this year? Because there's no Tommy Condell to beat up anymore. And the fan ire after Condell was gone, the team still didn't do all that well. Then it was Orlando Steinauer's turn on the chopping block, and he's not on the coaching staff anymore. And everyone last year wanted Milanovic to run the offense, and now he's doing that. And But he was in charge of the offense that no-showed in the playoffs. So... Again, obviously, as as fans, I don't want to see this come to be. I want to see this team go 14 and four. I, I want to see him go 18 and 0. But realistically, I want to see this team win 12 plus games next year, finish first in the East, and make two and win the Grey Cup. But the uh, jerkier side of me, maybe, is kind of interested to see when this team does hit a rough patch, where all that fan ire is directed, because the normal, especially if it's offensively, the defense, we know where people are going to point the finger. They're, they're, they're already started doing it. So, but offensively, if this team doesn't produce like we should, or we think they should, or those fans think they should, I'm really kind of curious as to where their anger will be will be placed because it will, will it go to Bo if he's, if he's struggling or even if like, I just, I'm just very curious what the discussions will be. Should the tie cats once again, get off to a slow start with a lot of the same players, but a completely different coaching staff. It's you, you can't get rid of everybody, but they got rid of the ones that everyone thought was the problem. But if the problem persists, who do you go to next? Well, I think uh, it'll be a, a number of, players and coaches it'd probably be Bowley by Mitchell because the starting quarterback is always if they're not performing out of this world then they got a target on them right and then probably be if the offense isn't performing well it'll be Scott Milanovic shouldn't be the head coach NOC they should take away one of those positions (laughs) you know what that's exactly what it'll be it'll be bringing Kahari Jones to be the offensive coordinator again that's what it'll be, Josh. So yeah. just heard that's what's going to happen. Or, or could, could it be, could it be, you know what? Maybe Milanovic should just be the OC and they should bring Steinhauer back to be the head coach. Yes, that would, I could see that too. Yeah. Or just, um, or June Jones, June Jones should come. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I forgot. What the, that's right. June Jones would be very popular, a very popular yeah. pick to, to come back in. That's right. I forgot about him. All right. So. We'll get into some of the other players the Ticats brought back in a second, but I feel like we need to pivot to the new players that will be joining the team in 2024 because that's, it's, yeah, Tim White is the exciting one, but it's also who will be freshly donning those black and gold jerseys this year for the first time. Ticats signed nine new players over the course of free agency. They include defensive back Jamal Peters, defensive lineman Brandon Barlow, Dwayne Hendricks, and Nick Usher. Receivers Luther Hakunavanu and Brandon O'Leary Orange, running back Antti Milanovic Litre, offensive lineman Evan Johnson, and fullback James Tuck. Barlow, Hendricks, and Hakunavanu signed two year deals similar to what uh, Tim White signed. Uh, the others, they didn't announce what they've, how long they'd signed, so I assume it's for one year because usually when they announce a term, it's they announce the term. If they don't, you can usually say it's uh, say it's a one year contract. So Lots of new faces coming in, many of whom will be in the mix to start in on the the offense or defense this upcoming season. Of the new guys that are that are that have been signed, who are you particularly excited to see as a Tiger Cat next year? Uh, the number one is Jamal Peters. I Absolutely. think bringing him in is going to be a great addition to the secondary, and you know, bringing 
we'll get into it in a little bit, but, you know, bringing back Richard Leonard into the fold as well, I think we have a, a pretty strong secondary right now. Those, those, you know, the one resigning and then the one addition, Jamal Peters, get him on that cornerback spot, um, you know, shutting down people there. I think that's going to be a huge addition. And along the defensive line, Brandon Barlow and Dwayne Hendricks. These two guys are, you know, not huge names in the CFL. These are signings that are going to pay off. You know, they haven't shown that they're all-stars yet, but they're up-and-comers. And maybe next year, this season coming up, they will, you know, completely come out of their shell and be those all-stars. Because Barlow suited up in 14 games last year for, for the Toronto Argonauts, registering 31 total tackles, including 22. But nine quarterback sacks as a rotation guy is huge. Yeah, he and only had two Hendrick, starts last year. Yeah, it's it's wild. So these guys, you know, they're signing players that aren't established yet, but have great potential to be all-stars in the future. So those guys along the defensive line, they're young, they're hungry. Uh, I think they're great additions. Yeah, I'm just going to tag up on what you said, because my big three were the three they stole from Toronto. And it's not just bringing in three great players, which I think they've done. It's also taking three great players from a division rival. And the Argos were, they were pirated this year, man. Like they had a lot of their top level guys taken from them. Some in trades, they traded Jordan Williams, they traded Curly Gittins Jr., but they lost these three to Hamilton. They lost their running game to Saskatchewan. AJ Ouellette signed there. They lost some of their defensive guys. Darius Pickett is gone. So the that not only have the Ticats gotten better at these spots, but the Argos have gotten worse. So Peters to me is the big one. 11 interceptions in his career, seven of them, Mike, seven of them against the Ticats. So it's nice to know that when we face the Argos, we won't have him on the other side ready to pick off the ball. He, in the, I remember it was 2022, I believe. Yeah, because it's when we played them stupidly four times in five games. I think he had three interceptions in one game and then two the following game. Like he made his career off intercepting Tiger Cat quarterback. So to have him on this side of the rivalry now, guy who knows the tendencies of, of Chad Kelly, who was in practice with him for two years. I really like bringing him in. You mentioned Barlow and Hendricks, and those are two great signings as well. Barlow has 10 sacks in 24 games. He had nine sacks last year. That was more than any Tiger Cat had in 2023. He's averaging nearly a sack every other game. If he does that this year, he'll have another nine sack season. You add into that, that he'll be starting for the first time really in his career. You, you got to expect he's going to get up there and could 12, 14, 16 sacks be in, in his future with this team this year. I think it's possible. And then Hendricks had six last year, six sacks as an interior defensive lineman would have been second on the Ticats last year. Only Casey sales would have had more with seven. Now you pair those two guys up and now all of a sudden I know the Ticats spent a lot and we, I think correctly, despite the fact it didn't work out, I think correctly gave them credit for deciding we need to boost the offensive and defensive lines because that is how you win in the Canadian football. That's how you win in football, period. You start from the trenches and you build outwards, you, and then you start in the spine. I think this year they've signed better players than they did last year. Jaguar Davis was very clearly on his last legs, and I think we knew that going into the year. He, he didn't play well in Toronto in 2022. I think he came back. I won't say he wasn't motivated because he looked to put in the same amount of effort he always did, which honestly didn't look like very much, but that's neither here nor there. But 
no one's picked him up yet. I think as much as I love Dylan Wynn, I think Hendricks is a bit of an upgrade. He's a little bit younger. He has the more durability. I think too much is being made of Dylan Wynn's injuries the last couple of years because they are, it's not as if he keeps injuring the same body part. Like when we talk about injury prone players, I, I like to think of, are they continuously like to me, Jeremiah Mazzoli is an injury prone player because he keeps busting up his legs. It's the same leg. It's his lower body. It can't stay with Dylan Wynn. He had, I believe it was a shoulder injury and then he had a leg injury. Like it's different things. So I think that's being overblown his, his injury troubles the past couple of seasons, but he wasn't on the field. Hendricks has been on the field again, somewhat in a rotational role, but he saw more playing time than I think Barlow did last year. But I think you add that you look at the defensive line now and we'll get into some of the guys that they kept along the line in a bit, but you're looking at a starting defensive line. That's Brandon Barlow and Jamal Davis on the ends. And you got Casey sales and Dwayne Hendricks in the middle. That's a damn good front four. And then you couple that with an improved secondary because Jamal Peters is back there now. And then we'll, we will probably get into the rest of the defense in a bit, but it looks as if I want, let me rephrase. Mark Washington has all the the pieces he needs to have a successful defense this year. Everything that they had in 2019 when they were good on defense, they have this year. So the only reason that they wouldn't be successful, because they've now given him, I think, I think I looked it up. I think four players who started the East semifinal look like projected starters for this upcoming season on the defensive side of the ball. So they've made some changes there. It's now on Mark Washington to put these guys in the right position to succeed, is it not? Because the talent is there. Yeah, the talent's there. Uh, you know, the, the only maybe question mark with the defense is the linebackers at this point in time. But Which I feels weird to say about the Tiger Cats, does it not? Absolutely. Um, Lucy Simone Lawrence and Jamar Thurman, you know, is going to hurt a little bit. But I think those positions can be filled with younger talent, maybe um, – you know, guys that are already on the team or maybe guys that come to training camp, who knows? But I think they can, they can make it work, right? Um, but, but your absolute defensive line looks solid. Secondary looks solid. Uh, and the thing I like about the defensive line guys, like last year you mentioned, guys were they were being brought in that were past their prime, right? Yeah. Like Davis, Jagari Davis. Like you mentioned, you know, the down year in Toronto, maybe they were hoping he could get, get that magic back, but it just wasn't going to happen. You know, guys like Botang came in. You know, hoping that he can bounce back from the injuries he never could. But but the guys like Hendricks and uh, Barlow are are young. They're upcoming. They're you know they don't have injury problems, all that good stuff. So I like this better than I did last year, and I was high on it last year. But I, I like the signings better this year. So new players coming means old players have to go. That's just the nature of the game. And the Ticats did lose a number of good players from last year's squad. Quarterback Matthew Schiltz signed with the Calgary Stampeders. Defensive lineman Malik Carney and Dylan Wynn went to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Montreal Alouettes, respectively. Tunde Adelike went to the Toronto Argonauts. Sean Thomas Erlington joined Wynn on the Owls. And linebackers Jameer Thurman, Frazier Sopic, Chris Edwards, and Simone Lawrence are no longer with the team. Thurman joined Malik Carney in Saskatchewan. Sopic joined Adelike with the Argos. And as we know, Chris Edwards and, of course, Simone Lawrence retired from the game. We also know that Duke Williams will not be back, but he has not yet been signed with another team for the upcoming season, and quite frankly, I don't know if he will be. 
removing Simone from the equation, because I don't think we really need to have any more Simone Lawrence conversations. Like I said at the top of the show, if you want to hear us talk about Simone, we'll talk about that. Uh, you, we have another show that we did that on, although we can talk about what his loss will mean in the overall scheme of things. But from a player standpoint, are there any of the players that I listed that have left the team that you think the Ticats will regret moving on from? Or do you see what they lost as not all that big of a deal? Yeah, I, you know, a lot of these guys I'll miss because I like them personally. Like uh, Dylan Wynn, I was a big fan of Dylan Wynn. Um, I thought Jameer Thurman did a, did a fine job in the linebacking group last year. But a lot of these guys that are leaving, there's replacements for them. Guys that can fill in and do the same job or, or maybe even do it better. You know, it, it's like um, a delicate, obviously, a tremendous talent. Uh, Canadian guy in the secondary. But we have Cass and Tonis, right? So, you know, a lot of these guys that are leaving, we have really good replacements for them. But Dylan Wynn I'm going to miss because he was one of my favorites. And uh, Adela Kay and Thurman are guys that stand out that we might miss. But I, I just think that we have uh, valid replacements for pretty much all those guys, except maybe minus Thurman at this point. But, uh, you know, maybe later on in the season we look back and we're like, damn, this young guy's doing a hell of a job filling in for, for the spot that Thurman used to play. Yeah, we'll talk about where this team maybe still needs some reinforcements before we finish for the day. But to me, it's it's Dylan Wynn, and a lot of that is personal. I like the guy. He always had time for me. Um, didn't talk to him a bunch, but talked to him enough that he he was always gracious with his time whenever I said hello. He is a hell of a player, and I like I said earlier, I do think that his his injury issues have been overblown. I didn't really, but like they replaced him with Dwayne Hendricks, and Personally, I would have stuck with Dylan Wynn. I understand why the team didn't, and that's fair. Dylan landed on his feet. I think he's going to be great in Montreal. I think the team is going to regret moving on from him, especially if he gets it gets his health back and can be that dominant. We saw him in 2019 especially, but also in 2021, just dominate from the interior of the defensive line. And yeah, the last two seasons haven't been what he had hoped, haven't been what the fans had hoped, but I still think he's got that in him. But other than that, man, like... Matthew Schultz is gone. They replaced him with Taylor Powell, and I think that was the right move. Matthew Schultz is 31. We know what he is as a player. Taylor Powell is 24, 25. Like, there's room for improvement there that I don't think there is with Schultz. Sean Thomas Erlington was replaced on the roster by Antti milanovic Litre, and while I think that that's a downgrade in a lot of ways, because I think Erlington is a more dynamic player, that's another guy who couldn't stay on the field, whereas Litre has been really durable over his career. So I don't think a lot would have been asked of either of them on this team. Cause James Butler is the bell cow, but if you're going to have your backup, you want them to at least be healthy. You can get that with, with Lee Trey. You mentioned a delicate he's gone because cats and Tonus took his job. So whether you think a delicate is better or not, doesn't really matter. One guy took his job. That's how this game works. Thurman is a loss, but they have replaced him with Jordan Williams. Now, whether that's, now, Jordan Williams could still move into Simone's old spot, so there's still some question marks there, but that one might hurt just because I do think Thurman's probably a better player than Williams, but you got to add in the fact that Williams is Canadian, so that helps as well. Like, I just don't look at any of these lo- – like, the biggest loss, and I said we weren't going to talk about it, to me is Simone, and that might even be less from an on-field point of view and more from that leadership in the locker room type of thing. But Because if you look at the guys they did lose, when – 
big time leader in the locker room. Erlington, big time leader in the locker room. Thurman, he's only here one year and he's more quiet. He's a quieter guy, but he he can be a bit of a leader. Like they did lose some leadership there, but some other young guys are probably going to have to step up in their place. I just don't know. I don't think Malik Carney's a big, like he was a guy that they took a chance on last year. He was one of the guys in the, in the defensive line rotation. We were really high on him coming back. Thought that maybe with a larger role, he was, he was inclined to have a breakout season. Didn't exactly happen. So like, I just look at this list of guys and I don't really see anyone that come mid season. This team's going to go, Oh man, we really wish we could have had him with the exception being Dylan Wynn if he goes back to being the monster that he used to be. But otherwise, it just looks like everyone that they've they've improved in every, maybe not in every area, but I feel like the team on paper this year right now versus last year with these guys on it, I like, I like this year's roster a little bit more. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I think the only guy that they could have lost would have been Tim Wynn. White and they would have been like, damn, we should have just gave him. We'd be having a much different conversation if Tim White had signed with another team. Yes, absolutely, because there's just there's no one there to replace that production, right? I mean, we talk about all the guys that we've lost, but there's other guys coming in or younger guys filling their spot that we think can do a hell of a job or even better. So if they would have lost Tim White, that would have been a massive loss because there's just no one on the market or no one waiting in the wing in the winds that can, you know, step up for the Tiger Cats and be that number one guy. So, um, you know, I'm not too worried about uh, all the guys we left, even though it's a little, it sucks personally because uh, I'm such a Dylan Wynn fan. But other than that, and Simone, he sucks because he's retiring, but he's still with the team. So it, it's all good. I think that, uh, yeah, we lost a lot of players, but uh, I think this team will be just fine moving forward. So Tim White came back, obviously, the most important player they probably re-signed out of everyone. But he's not the only one that's returning from last year's squad. The team re-signed kicker Mark Leggio, punter Kari Vedvik, defensive lineman Mason Bennett and Jamal Davis, defensive back Richard Leonard, linebackers Nick Cross and Enoch Penny Larea, and receivers Tyler Chanowski and Terry Godwin. They also inked 2023 all-star defensive lineman Casey Sales to an extension. He had signed a two-year deal with the Cats last winter in free agency from Winnipeg. And now he's signed for an additional year. So now his contract runs through 2025. Most likely got a raise, deservedly so, after an all-star season in his first year in black and gold. Of these returning players, who do you think has a chance to maybe not take a leap, but be the most impactful for the team in 2024? Are there one or two guys or five or six guys that you look at this list of guys that are coming back that you're excited to see, maybe see what more they can do in this upcoming season in 2024? Well, like a, a guy like Richard Leonard is huge in my eyes. Obviously, he's not a young guy by any stretch of the imagination for a football player, but uh, he played so well last season. I think that the leadership he brings within the secondary is a huge thing. And, his versatility and helps too. Yep. I think that's an underrated part of his game is that you yeah, look at that all- secondary yep. and you know Jamal Peters is going to play boundary corner because that's where he's played his entire career. But Richard, but and you know Katzentone is going to play safety. And they got some young guys back there, but you look at Richard Leonard and it's like, all right, plug him in wherever you want because he's going to produce. He can do it at field half. He can do it at field corner. He can do it at boundary half. So it's like, if there's injuries, he moves around. Like, I think that's the underrated part of bringing him back. In my opinion is he allows the team to focus on finding guys for certain positions and then just putting Richard wherever he needs to be. Yeah. So he's, you know, he, he brings that experience. He brings that versatility. 
I think it's a very important signing for the Ticats. And then uh, also Casey Sales. I know that technically it's not a re-signing, but an extension of his contract. Um, we, we talked about it earlier. He was just a menace uh, in that defensive tackle spot, and he's going to bring it next year again. So I think those two signings are huge. And then to go back a while ago, I, I'm just really happy that they got all their offensive linemen back. You know, Revenberg would Manzi signing Jordan Murray to a contract. It's huge because Murray's a guy that was, um, you know, testing the waters in the NFL for a couple of years. He seems to be focused in on the Hamilton Tiger Cats now. So, um, you know, five of those guys are, are, are really important in my eyes. And there's there's others that are, are very important, but those are the guys that I focused on. Well, I'll bring up some of the others just for the sake of diversity here. I really like the Jamal Davis re-signing. 11 sacks in 33 career games. He never really got it going in Montreal. He showed some flashes there, got an NFL opportunity because of it, but then came back. And then he came to Hamilton late last season. Again, showed some flashes. I think a full offseason in this defense, learning this defense, probably becoming one of the starters. I mentioned earlier, we're kind of going over the newcomers to the defensive line. I, I would pencil him in as one of the rush ends. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. And Terry Godwin is another guy that I'm happy to see back. Would I have been as thrilled if he was receiver number one? Probably not. But as Robin to Tim White's Batman, I think he can go for a thousand yards. I think he can catch 65, 70 balls, maybe come close to six to nine touchdowns this year. Like I think he could be a, a pretty good weapon for this team. He proved himself to be fairly reliable last season. And again, when I look at younger players and you see growth each year, and we saw that Godwin looked not lost, but he looked okay when he had that cameo appearance at the end of 2022. He looked better in games last year. And then as the season wore on, became more dependable. I'm expecting a leap from him in year three now that he's back. And and maybe he'll parlay that into a big contract either with the Ticats or elsewhere next offseason. But I agree with you on sales. I agree with you on Leonard, but those two guys, Davis and Godwin are two guys that I'm looking at as taking that next step. And like, cause sales was so great last year that I think he can just, <clears throat> pardon me, like really only maintain that greatness. I think he, he can definitely play better, but he was so good last year that it's hard. Even if his numbers dip, I still think he's going to be a tremendous player. And Leonard is so established that, yeah, I, I think it's a, a boon to the secondary now to have him, as I said, this versatility. But these other younger guys, like Davis is entering his fourth season. Godwin's entering. I know he was with the team in 2022, but this will really be his second season in the league. Like, I'm really expecting these young guys to kind of take that next step. And I think those are two guys that at the end of the year will go, oh, those were two of the major contributors to this team that went 18-0 and won the Great Cup in, in a 50 nothing victory in uh, in B.C., <laughs> I was waiting. I, I was like, I, was like, yeah, I, I you that. that for a second. I, I, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And, and Terry Godwin is a guy that I, I totally expect him to be over the thousand yard mark yeah. next season. This is the, the the step that he needs to take. You know, barring injury and all that stuff, if he's in there and he's healthy for most of the games, I totally expect him to be over that thousand yard mark. So. It's possible that the Ticats will sign another player or two, but it feels safe to say that they're, especially with the Tim White signing, that them going like marquee player hunting in free agency is probably over. So given who they kept, given who they lost, and given who they added, 
How would you kind of grade Hamilton's free agency performance this year? Are you higher on the team now than you were before free agency started? Lower, about the same? What are your thoughts on now the kind of the, again, it's not a finalized roster or a finished roster by any stretch of the imagination. There will be other player additions, most notably unknown American rookies. And of course, there's still the global and CFL draft to come later in the year. But where do you kind of stand on the Ticats roster right now? Do you, do you like what you see from this team or are you still a little hesitant to uh, to push this to, to maybe a 10-win team next year? Uh, I like what I've seen. Uh, I think the improvements, the guys that they brought in along the defensive line is really going to help the defense getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, I think the improvements in the secondary, um, bringing in Jamal Peters, locking up guys like Castantonitz and Richard Leonard, and then the the younger guys that are coming back that showed improvements last year, I think that the secondary is going to be strong. Um, obviously, I like what they've done along the offensive line. Um, now that Tim White's in the fold again, the receivers look much better. Um, I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. The linebackers is a bit of a question, but I think they can fill those spots, and, and, and we won't be concerned about it as we go along in the season. So... Um, there was some concerns going into free agency, notably uh, the receivers uh, and the secondary. But I think they've done a pretty darn good job. I really do. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Like I said, I think this team's better on paper at this time than they were at this time last year. Like, I think I I like the makeup of I – like, I think I like – like. In 2022, and we've talked about this before, they went all in on the secondary, didn't work. Last year, they went all in on the defensive line, didn't work. This year, they've kind of mixed and matched, and I think they may have found the right formula, the right recipe for a a decent defense. And I think that the defense, especially early, might have to, because we don't know what we're getting out of Bo anymore, and we don't know if Taylor Powell might have to take over. So the defense might have to be the strong suit for this team early on. And I do think that they now have the horses to do that. You mentioned the secondary and you mentioned the veterans and the Kenneth George Jr. has a year under his belt. He should be better in 2024 than he was in 2023. Will Sunderland's coming back for another year. Dexter Lawson is coming back for another year. These players having got playing time should be better this year because of it. That's the, the one I hate to say good thing because it when, when your team that you think is going to win the Grey Cup goes eight and ten and loses in the first round of playoffs, nothing's ever good. But the one maybe silver lining of sort of a lost season is some of these younger players get real meaningful game time, and that only makes them better. The the only way players get better is by playing, and these guys now have had that. So I I expect that secondary to actually be a real strong suit. And we haven't even mentioned JV and Elliott who is coming back from a knee injury and. Whether he's ready for the start of camp or not at the start of the season, I don't know. But I still think they have enough around the like you, you're going to have veterans. My guess would be, and this is strictly a guess, is you're going to have Peters at boundary corner, you're going to have Leonard at field half, and you're going to have Katzentonis at safety. That's not a guess. Katzentonis plays safety, yeah. and then you'll you know you got Peters, and then you'll probably for the first half of the season, Kenneth George maybe plays that boundary half spot. Maybe you put Lawson or Sunderland out there at field corner. So you got like a nice mix and match of veterans and young players beside each other. It's not an entirely rookie crew on one side and a veteran crew on the other. And you're like, well, offenses are going to go after the young players because they're going to stay away from. It's a nice mix and match. So I really like what they have there. I think this team, though, goes as far as the quarterback takes them. I think that's that's I know it seems simplistic and it seems maybe a little unfair at this point of the year, but 
you look at the the weapons on offense, you look at what they've done on offense, you look at what they've done on defense, it's going to come down, is Bo healthy and playing well? This team's going to win games. Is Taylor Powell, has he taken over because Bo's injured and he's playing well? This team's going to win games. If that's not the case, none of this matters. And it's just going to come down to what they get out of quarterbacks. If Bo and or Powell play well, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to be in the mix to win a championship. Those guys don't. This team maxes out at nine wins and probably gets beat in the first round of the playoffs. It's just, I think it's that simple with this team because you can't say the talent's not there. The talent is there. They've invested in spots that needed investing. Now it's basically on the quarterback to show either he's ready to be the guy in Powell's case, or he can still be the guy in Bo's case. And that's what will ultimately decide where the season goes, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that. How do you feel about the the overall Canadian talent uh, going into the season? It's not, I don't think it's as high because when you lose a player like Tunde Adelike and the replacements are Evan Johnson and Luther Hakunavanu and Brandon O'Leary, or like those players aren't as good at what they do as what Adelike was at what he did. Now, the thing is, is that it's not a straight one for one trade because yeah, you lost Adelike, but you did bring Jordan Williams. So mm-hmm. again, I don't think he's as good a linebacker as Adelike is as a safety, but with what this team needed slash had, you weren't going to keep a delicate anyway. So I'm not as bullish on the team's Canadian roster right now, but I don't think it's devoid of talent completely. It'll be interesting to see how they deploy it. Like it does seem that they're going to go with two Canadian receivers, which I didn't think was going to be the case, but uh, they paid Hakuna Vanu like, 125,000. They're not going to have him sit on the bench. Keandre Smith's too good to sit on the bench. So, but at least in my opinion, though, they're, they're two Canadian stars this year. World's better than where their two Canadian stars were. Like even Keandre Smith, from where he started last season to where he finished last season, you can expect him to, again, take a third year leap. He went from like 200 yards in his rookie season to almost 800 last year. So there's definitely, you've seen him get better as this, and he was great when Milanovic took over. So, I'm uh, again, I'm not as high on them, but I do think I don't think this is uh, a, a team devoid of Canadian talent. I just think it, it's not as good as maybe some other places across the league. What about you? Yeah, I, I pretty much feel the same way. I think that it's um, there's enough there to make a good team, but it's not like we're loaded, you know, no. coming up with Canadian talent. So I'm satisfied, but it could always be better. And injuries, if one of the Canadians get hurt. I'm a little concerned about where they'll go. Like one through seven, they seem pretty solid. It's eight through 12 that I'm a little, okay. Like, I mean, if one of the receivers goes down, you have a replacement on hand, you know what I mean? But if one of those defenders gets hurt, are you, are you bringing Mason Bennett as a starter? Are you putting Muhammad Diallo in as a starter? Now you're taking off one of those impact American defensive linemen. It's that's where I get concerned with the Ticats is if injury strikes and injuries are going to happen. That's the nature of football. We know someone's going to get hurt, but I'm more concerned if one of those starting Canadians get hurt, where do they find the replacement to be the spot starter for a few weeks a week? You know what I mean? That's where I'm, I'm a little more concerned than I am with who they're going to start should everyone stay healthy all season? Yeah, I'm wondering I wonder what they're they're gonna do with all with you know when injuries happen to occur, 
uh, among the Canadians. But there are some depth signings that they made with Canadian guys. Uh, I'm sure they'll make it work. But you're right. If there are, you know, a plethora of injuries with Canadians, then we might be in some trouble. Yeah, for sure. All right. Last thing here before we go. What areas of the team do you still think need to be improved on? Are there any spots like position groups or positions in particular where you're more concerned now than you were a couple of weeks ago? And if so, do you think it's a veteran that fills those spots or are you comfortable with this team maybe rolling with some rookies? Because one of the things that I hate seeing, Mike, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent before I get you answer the question, is people who come free agency time say, okay, these are the holes we have and these are the veterans we need to sign them. You can't fill every roster hole with a higher priced veteran player. That's just bad roster management. And you just, I know the salary cap isn't real and teams can go over it. It's a soft cap. I understand all that, but you can't like, for instance, I'm, I'm going to guess, <clears throat> pardon me. Linebacker is one of the areas of concern you have. Cause it's one of the areas of concern I have when I look at this roster, they can't just go out and sign a bunch of veteran Americans to fill those spots because they're going to need young players to st- for every high priced American or high priced Canadian you sign. You need a rookie to take some spot on the team to balance out the numbers. So just because you're like, Oh, this team doesn't have a Simone replacement in house. Maybe they should go out and find, I'm not even sure who a linebacker out there would be right now, quite frankly, but insert name here of guy who's played in the CFL for four years you can't just go and do that for every spot. You need young players to step up. You need unknown American players to come into the league. Yes, we paid Tim White big money. No one knew who Tim White was three years ago when he came into this league. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Jamal Peters got big money to come here. He's the highest paid defensive back in the CFL. No one knew who Jamal Peters was when he came to this league with the Toronto Argonauts. So you have to let these young players play to become the players that you end up paying years down the road you know what i mean so i just i i i see fans say oh this team needs a third american receiver go sign rasheed bailey or or someone like that and it's like no you need your omar baylis's or your chris coleman's or your justin mcgriff's to take that spot so you can pay tim white two hundred sixty-five thousand to stay as the number one receiver you know what i mean like so just because there's a hole in the roster doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go out and find a veteran to fill it. Having said that, what spots in this team do you think still need to be filled? So I just had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I, like we talked about this before, you know, we can't be an all-star team every year. No. You know, we can't, you know, we, we signed an all-star team in the secondary a couple of years ago. It, it didn't work out so well. But, you know, there's, I look at this roster and like receivers were a concern before Tim White signed. But I think that getting Tim White, getting Terry Godwin back in the fold, and then using some of these young guys in the receiver that have a ton of potential, whether they be Canadian or Americans, I'm not too concerned with the receivers anymore. The linebackers is a bit of a concern for me, like you just talked about. But I think, listen, they're going to find guys. And, you know, it might come within the organization. Guys like Kyle Wilson, guys like uh, Flowers Lloyd could be stepping up. I know that uh, Wilson had, had an injury last year, but um, you never know. Some of these guys could could step up into that role or how it could be a guy that they bring into training camp that uh, plays at the linebacker position who fills those couple of holes in that position group. So to me, I think they've done a pretty darn good job on paper as we look at it now at filling holes within this roster. But if I had, you know, one concern, it would probably be 
the linebacking core. But I'm not overly worried about that either. And maybe I would like uh, another rush end along the defensive line, like, you know, a legit rush end that we know is going to get pressure on the quarterback. But at the same time, I'm fine with bringing back Jamal Davis and uh, letting him realize his potential as well, because I think that he can be a star as a rush end. Yeah, receiver was my concern before the Tim White signing as well. But again, if we're looking at the roster and we go, I think we know four-fifths of the starting receiving core. That fifth guy who's going to be an American is not going to make or break the offense. If it's Omar Bale, like I, I listened to the guys already. I'm not going to do it again. But one, having one of those guys step up as your third American receiver, potentially your fourth overall option in the passing game, maybe fifth if you count James Butler, that's not the difference between this offense being good or being bad to good or good to elite. You know what I mean? Like that's not going to make or break what the offense does. You can't have five number one guys. In no, the you can't. Because they want the ball. Like you just can't have that. Um, an all-star group within the receivers. So it's good to have guys that are, you know, from all-stars to younger guys that are stepping up that won't complain that they don't get the ball every, you know, two passes. Yeah, the linebacking group, though, is a concern. Uh, we don't have a Sam linebacker. I think it's Carthel Flowers-Lloyd. as a, as a, I think that's a intriguing option simply because it allows the team to do what most teams say they like to do, but not every team does. It's a guy who excelled on special teams getting a chance to start on defense, and he's got the size, and we know he's got the athleticism to play the spot. So I think that would be an issue. But again, maybe that's a newcomer coming to the league as well, or maybe it's one of the... The other young DBs that doesn't get a chance to play in the secondary that could bump down there. And then there's the question of who kind of fills Simone's shoes. Like I'll work on the assumption that Jordan Williams will be the middle linebacker. He'll take over for Thurman. But now you're talking about who's the guy to take over for a legend. And you brought up Kyle Wilson. And that is a great potential replacement. The problem being he suffered an Achilles injury in September. So I've seen the videos. I'm sure you've seen the videos online of him working out. He looks to be in great shape and ready to play, but there's a big difference between lifting weights at home and cutting and juking and throwing your body at people on a football field. So he might be in great shape, might not be ready to play football. And those Achilles injuries are tough to come back from. Sometimes they can take up to a year. So they don't right now have a viable, healthy replacement for Simone on the roster, which is why prior to his retirement announcement, I was so adamant that the team should, should do whatever they can to keep him because they there was going to be such a question mark there had he left he's left now the question still stands and the other place and this is less of a concern but it is a hole that the team has in the roster right now they don't really have a return man Tyreek McAllister went to the Raiders he was dynamic in that role last year but I'm not concerned about it because this team has done a tremendous job over the past decade and a half of finding guys to return the ball so Maybe I, I think of a guy like Cameron Batson, who is on, he, they signed him. He, he played some in the NFL with the Tennessee Titans, has some returning experience. They signed a couple of other receivers and DBs that have some returning experience as well. So perhaps one of those guys will step up. I know there are people out there. Again, this goes back to the my rant about filling everything. You got to get Javon Lee. You got to get Janarian Grant. Not when you consistently find return men, do you go out and pay. Javon Lee got 125000 from the Edmonton Elks to be their basically only their return person. And unless, and he's a great returner, that's Brandon Banks return money. And Javon League is not Brandon Banks. I, I you know what I mean? Like he's mm. good. He's not in Speedy's class. Speedy is 
Take away what he did as a receiver later in his career. Speedy was on a Hall of Fame trajectory as simply a return man in this league. So I don't think Javon Leak is is in that stratosphere. The Ticats for 125000 got a potential Canadian starting receiver in Hakunavanu. So I just don't think this team needs to spend money on a veteran returner when they've had so much success over the last 15 years dating back to Marcus Thigpen. And that that's the first one I can remember. I'm sure there are ones in between, you know, Archie Amerson and Thigpen. There are probably some pretty good ones in there, even though the team wasn't very good. But I guess don't feel the need that this team needs to go out and sign someone. But it is still right now a hole in the roster that is one of the areas that, considering this team doesn't have a ton right now, is something that'll be interesting to see kind of the players they bring in over the rest of this uh, this offseason before camp opens in May. Maybe they find some guys. I'll, I'll be curious to see in those press releases about newcomers being signed, how many of them have uh, have return stats on their resume. But those are those are the spots. Linebacker, Simone spot, and and returner are the two spots right now that I look at and go, all right, we're going to have to see who who steps up and fills those roles right now because right now they don't really have anybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, the returner thing, because I'm looking at the receivers on the roster right now, and there's a lot of monsters that would not there be are. turn game. I mean, I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten or eleven guys that are over six feet in the receivers. So, obviously, some of these guys are going to be training camp fodder, but I think it's pretty evident that uh, Scott Milanovic has a – you know, preference when it comes to receivers. He's got a type. Dudes. He's got a type. But we saw that, and we mentioned this when we talked about, I think we briefly touched on the, they, they brought in like, they made us, they made like a batch of signings. And I think yeah. every receiver, I think they brought in three or four receivers and all of them were taller than six, four. But we remember Milanovic from his time in Toronto, he brought in a group of young receivers, Tori Gurley, Vidal Hazelton, and Kevin Elliott. And I think Hazelton was the smallest. And I think he was like six, three. And I think Gurley was like six five, and Hazelton or, or and uh, Elliott was like six four. Like they were all big dudes, and that's what he likes to have in his receivers. Now he's clearly gotten away. Like Terry Goblin's not a big guy, Tim White's not a big guy, but talent's talent. I mean, he also worked with Chad Owens, who wasn't a big dude. So Milanovic can work with a number of receivers, but he definitely has a preference or or a like for having some big body guys, especially in the red zone. But those guys aren't exactly return guys, right? Like. It's it's your camera bats and I think is five eleven six foot like that's your return guy size and Tim White's done some returning but I don't think you're going to be putting him back there to return kicks and punts I don't, I don't think he's going to be pulling double duty unless he absolutely has to so it's it's an area it's again like I said one of those spots come training camp time when I'm down on McMaster looking seeing okay who do we have that's going to fill that role right now because they got some pretty big shoes to fill Tyreek McAllister do you remember when at, when Leandre Gallimore had the big punt return in the preseason, and then he got cut, and they brought in McAllister, and everyone's like, how could they cut this guy? He's going to come back and haunt us. Well, McAllister went on to be the team's special teams player of the year and became one of the most dynamic returners and offensive weapons in the league, and Gallimore never stepped foot on the CFL field again. So maybe the front office does know a little bit about what they're doing. Yeah, maybe a little bit. A little. <laughs> All right, that was Pods for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.